This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. Welcome to CBO Speaks, a podcast from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO John Walda, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is for you to gain greater insight into the challenges and rewards of the Chief Business Officer role. Find out more from today's episode at www.nakubo.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for being here today. My name is Megan Strand, your host for today, and I'm so excited to be joined today by Gay Manning, who is Vice Chancellor for Finance and Administration at Southern Arkansas University Tech. Welcome, Gabe. Thank you very much. Well, to kick us off today, I I always like to ask people how they first came to higher ed as a profession. It's always an interesting story. Oh, well, I tell you what, let me uh, just give you a little bit of background information on my journey here with SAU Tech, because it's probably a little different from um, most CBOs. But uh, I started working for my institution at the age of 22. Oh, my goodness. Yes, just three months after receiving my bachelor's degree. And I really had not even thought about a career in higher ed, but at the time I needed a job. Um, I was hired in 1984 in the lowest level position in the finance and administration department. And through numerous resignations, retirements, and just changes in status, I began to work my way up in the department. Once I reached the position of controller, I knew I was kind of stuck. I knew I would not be able to advance any further unless I got an advanced degree. And because by this time I had accomplished so much in moving up through through the ranks, reaching the level of CBO was absolutely on my radar. It was one of my priorities. So I took a leap of faith and at the age of 37 started working on my MBA at nighttime. And because of a very supportive chancellor at the time, one who was really encouraging me and and pushing me along in my career, within a month after graduating, I was promoted to the the CFO of the institution. And that was in January of 2001. So if you do all of the math, I have been at the same institution for 33 years now, so. Wow, that is a great story. Never looked back, so. That's fantastic. Well, talk a little bit about, as you were sort of climbing the ranks, when did you realize that, hey, really, this is a great place for me to be, and I am excited to be here and make a career out of this? When I first took over as, well, actually, when I was controller, and then as I moved into the, the CFO ranks, we had a lot of problems here at my institution. We weren't exactly financially stable. Uh, we had a lot of audit issues. Um, we, we just had processes that weren't working well. Um, j- just a lot of problems. And it took me probably a good 18 to months to two years to really get a grasp of what all was really going on and what our problems were. But after I, the institution finally received that perfect audit report after we finally got our fund balance in a position where we were very stable and secure I knew I had made the right decision I knew I was right where I needed to be um, 
and I've never ever had a thought about leaving higher ed. I, I think this is the perfect fit for me. And so I, I guess it was being able to turn my institution around to where we really were in a very stable position made me realize that this is exactly where I need to be. That's fantastic. What makes SAU Tech unique for a CBO? SAU Tech is one of the original two-year schools in the state of Arkansas. Um, we were founded in 1968. Probably the most unique thing about my campus is that we are actually located in an industrial park in East Camden, and it's a defense industry, believe it or not, in South Arkansas. Hmm. So we are located right in the middle of Lockheed Martin, uh, Aerojet Rocketdyne, General Dynamics. I have defense industries all around me. So we've either decided we're the safest institution in the world or we're the one <laughs> of the most <laughs> You do hear, hear gunshots and you hear explosions going off all the time. And that's just common day sounds for us. So I'm not sure we would ever know if we really were in trouble or not. But we also, part of my campus, we have two academies. We have a, a fire academy and an environmental academy. And so we have a statewide mission and we have satellites throughout the state of Arkansas. So we're not just your typical two-year community college. We truly have a statewide mission and, and are very have a great deal of emphasis in workforce training and industrial training. And as a CBO, is are those relationships? I would assume you have relationships with those with those big companies that surround you. Oh, absolutely. Does that? Yeah. How does that play into your role and what you are able to accomplish, or what you're excited to accomplish in, in the role? Yes, we. To answer your question, yes, we do have uh, good relationships with the industry. In fact, that's why how we were founded. Uh, it was by the. Um, Brown Foundation back in the 1960s, and our purpose was to truly provide the training for the industrial park here in East Camden. Hmm. Now, I am not directly um, connected with that part of the training because that's more on the academic side of the house, mm -hmm. but I do handle all the finances of, of the training that we provide. But yes, we have one-on-one -on -one communications with all of the industry leaders out here in the park. And then, like I said, throughout this state where we provide the fire and environmental training. But it has brought in a lot of additional resources for my college. So it, it, it's what keeps us, you know, sustained, I guess. I'm sure that's something that many CBOs wish wish they had more of. So that's that's a fantastic yeah. place to be. And we and we still don't think we have enough. So I mean, you know, <laughs> we're constantly changing and we're constantly looking for new ways that we can provide service to the industry. Okay, talk about what's most exciting about your role role currently. You know, there are are some days that I, I'm I'm still a, an accountant at heart, and there are some days, Megan, that I would be completely content and happy. Um, working behind my desk, working on budgets, spreadsheets, financial reports, just crunching the numbers because I really do enjoy doing that. But I also know myself well enough to know that I would probably burn out very quickly if that's all I did. Um, I thoroughly enjoy being at the level that I am now, uh, working with the executive team and working with the other vice chancellors. And that's what we're called here on my campus, mm -hmm. uh, vice chancellors. Um, we work together to keep each other uplifted and motivated. We work together on campus projects, on campus initiatives. Um, we we work together just strategizing and, and 
strategic planning. But the greatest thing about it of all is that we're very good friends, not just on campus, but outside of, of the work. And I also have a new chancellor. Now, I've been here 33 years. I have worked for every chancellor of this institution. I'm really dating myself now, except <laughs> the original one. I've worked for every one of them. But I've never worked for one like my new chancellor that just came on board in January, who has absolutely the greatest gift of making everyone feel welcome and feeling part of a team. I absolutely love the environment that I'm in now, that I know that I'm not just having an impact on the finances of my institution, but I'm actually helping every department on the campus. I'm, I'm actually, you know, trying to figure out solutions to the problems and trying to figure out ways for us to grow and trying to figure out ways for us to increase this training that we provide to the industry that surrounds us. So I think just being at the level I, I'm at now that I, I wear so many hats now and some days it gets so stressful and so chaotic and I think, oh my God, I can't put on another hat. But I actually know deep down that's what I really love. I love all the change and all the different areas that I'm involved in. Sounds like you are kept busy on a daily basis. I am. And you know, sometimes when you work at a very small institution, and I do, this is a very small school, um, sometimes you find your you find that you do wear more hats because there are only so many staff members and you can't segregate every duty and have as many internal controls as you want. So you find yourself doing far more things than than perhaps maybe on a larger campus. What are you doing now, Gay, that you never imagined you'd be doing, let's say, 20 years ago? Because it sounds like you've been doing, you've been kind of, you've had your eye on the role for a while, but let's just say 20 years ago. Well, that's actually kind of an easy question for me because this past, uh, I guess, past July 1st, after being in my, in the role of the, the CFO for about 15 years, I inherited the facilities operation under my umbrella. At the time that I was promoted to the, the CFO, my husband was actually the physical plant director or facilities oh, wow. director. Yes. And because of Arkansas's nepotism policy, he could not be a direct report to me. So that meant we had to move facilities out from under uh, finance and administration and move it somewhere else. So at the time, it was just moved directly under the chancellor. But this past June, he, my husband retired. We hired a new facilities director. And you can imagine immediately it was moved back under the umbrella <laughs> of finance and administration. Um, in the very beginning, I was terrified. I thought, oh, my God, you know, for 15 years, I haven't had to deal with facilities other than just with major construction projects and things like that. But it's actually been a very good experience. I have a super director. It's made me step outside of my comfort zone. It's made me learn a whole new world, lots of new terms that I never knew before. You know, it's been an advantage to me also because I was married to the previous director. And mm -hmm. so he and I would have conversations at home about different things going on the campus. So it, it's been an easy transition for me, I think. I absolutely love it because it is something different. And like I said, I love different things. And so I, I'm really 
kind of get, you know, I've only had this since July now, and I'm really beginning to, to see how it operates. And I already have ideas about how we might make some things a little bit better. So that's probably 15 years ago. I never thought I would get it back because I thought my <laughs> husband and I both would work forever. But. <laughs> well, and now you have your own in-house resident expert. Yes, yes. When things come up and we're, we just have no idea what to do, I go home and say, honey, will you please help me? <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay, what would you say is the biggest challenge that faces all CBOs today? What keeps you all up at night? You know, I, I really can't speak for all CBOs. I, I know what keeps me up at night, and it's just a, a personal thing, or it's, it's something that's hap- happening with my institution right now. But Probably for the past um, four years, I guess, we have had a significant decline in our enrollment. Uh, Now, I know all schools have experienced this, especially two-year schools across the nation, but the decline on my campus has been very significant to the point that we have had to actually reduce our budget by about a million dollars. Now, I need to put this in perspective for you because for some schools that wouldn't sound like a lot, but my campus is has about a $16 million budget. Mm. And so to cut a million out of a $16 million budget is significant. How we were going to do this, how we were going to decide what got cut, what stayed, who stayed, who went, kept me up at nights. I mean, I, I obsessed about it. I thought about it all the time. Luckily, not one soul lost their position throughout this time period. We were able to work together and come up with plans and and reduce certain budgets or maybe suspend certain services that we were doing for a while. But we were able to actually manage this to cut the million dollars out of the budget until we could get the enrollment or the revenues in alignment with what was going on with our enrollment. Um, To this day, um, that still keeps me up at night, but we have kind of made an about face and are beginning to turn things back around. But I would think for, for most of my colleagues, it's just Having the res, you know, always worrying about are you going to have enough resources to, you know, and to continue to to provide the services that you provide and to continue to add enhancements to your academic programs and continue to do things to grow your campus, the bricks and mortar of your campuses. I worry mostly about just having those resources, and in the area where I'm, I am located, um, we don't have a, a huge population, so even finding the appropriate human resources is sometimes very difficult. And we're now all working in a time period where all of your baby boomers are retiring. And we are seeing several people retire all at once from the institution. And these are people that have been here for many, many years and have a lot of history behind their belt. And it's frightening. It's scary because at some point in time, all of that knowledge and all of that history is going to be gone. And Mm. it's, it's, it's really kind of frightening. Well, lots on your mind. What about, um, what would you say is the biggest opportunity that maybe faces you or just CBOs in general? Probably stay, I mean, it kind of ties back to what I just said. It's finding new ways to bring in resources to our campuses. A lot of us are moving to the productivity funding or performance funding. Our state revenues have been flat. In my particular case, it has been flat for five years now. We Mm -hmm. have not seen an increase in the last five years. And yet in my case, my enrollment has declined. So 
stepping outside of our box and looking for new revenue sources. You, you no longer can we just depend on state support and tuition and fees. We're going to have to start looking for other ways to bring in resources to our campus if we're going to continue to grow our campuses. And is that something you've already started doing? Have you found pockets of innovation anywhere you've been able to tap into or creative ways to make that happen? We have. As a matter of fact, at my institution, we have never put a lot of emphasis on development because we are so small. It was just kind of one of those things that was was put on the back burner. But we have recently hired a new director of development and alumni relations. And already this, this lady has only been on board since the first part of March, but already has brought in thousands of dollars to enhance our campus and whether it's through scholarships or in our program enhancements. So we're already seeing new sources of money coming in and and we're making a concerted effort to have more relationships within the industrial park and then throughout the state to where we can bring in more partnerships. Uh, We've started a new um, welding, what we're calling a welding academy in one of our uh, satellite locations. And um, when we first started out, this was a one-day program that only had so many students that would be able to even apply to get in it. Well, the program has actually tripled in size in about a three-year time period. And so we just keep trying to look for new ways to bring in revenues to the campus. Well, that does sound exciting. Sounds like you've got positive things in front of you, which is fantastic. Gay, I want to talk a little bit about mentorship now. Can you think of somebody who served as a professional mentor to you over the years and maybe what you've learned from them? Oh, gosh, I have had many mentors, um, supporters, encouragers. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy to say that um, most of my, the chancellors that I've worked for have been um, very good mentors for me and encouragers for me. Um, our system president has always been a mentor to me, but probably my greatest mentors have been through relationships that I made through my volunteer work with my state business officer association, mm-hmm. my regional association, and through Nakubo. I would say my biggest mentor was David Bosserman, who was a former uh, Sakubo president. And um, David had a lot of confidence in me, had a lot of faith in me, and he kept encouraging me to continue to volunteer for positions and continue to put myself out there. And probably the, the one thing that he did best was help me to believe in myself that I could do far more than I ever thought that I could do. And it, it's been such a rewarding uh, experience to have that relationship with, with the, and the networks that you make through these associations, because we can now call on each other if we need help with a best practice or to ask someone how they've done something in the past or how they've handled a particular situation. And I try now, even, even though I have rolled off all of these boards, I still try to volunteer for different um, committees and, and different tasks throughout the associations. I try to mentor myself to up and rising business officers in the state. So I, I guess the confidence that they helped me, they helped give me and helped me to see in myself was probably the greatest mentoring that I ever received. And it sounds like that's something that you're passing along to the next generation. I am. As a matter of fact, um, we have a leadership um, 
it's called a, a Arkansas Leadership Institute. And most of the uh, participants in this are the up and rising employees of the different state um, colleges and universities. Most of them are at mid-level ranges, directors or coordinators, if you will. But the um, coordinator and teacher of this program is a dear friend of mine, someone I've known for many years, and she's just an exceptional, phenomenal woman. And I, I kept saying, you know, before I leave Southern Arkansas University Tech, I really want to participate in her program. And I knew, I thought, okay, you'll be the oldest person there. You're already at the <laughs> CFO level. You know, you're going to look really foolish participating in this class. But I thought, you know, what the heck? I really know that I can still learn from uh, Dr. Linda Bean is who I'm referring to. And so I signed up for the class. And once I uh, start, we have three programs that um, transpire over over the year. But once I got into the program, I realized that, you know, I can really help a lot of these younger folks that are in, are in this program, especially those that have aspirations to be a chief business officer. I can really mentor to them and help them out. And that's exactly what has happened. I get calls from them periodically. I get emails from them. Facebook messages from them asking me, Gay, you know, this is what I want to do. Can you give me some advice? Or I really am interested in position over here. Can you, do you have any uh, insights into this or can you help me out? So it, it has really been rewarding to me to be able to give back to these individuals and help them as they move up their ladders. That's fantastic. Sounds like it's come full circle. Anything else you'd like to share today, Gay, that I've neglected to ask? I don't think, uh, you know, I have, I work with friends now that say they've come from the industry side of, of um, the environment and they talk about the difference in higher ed, how higher ed works and is structured versus the industry. And they always say, gay, higher ed is really the very best place to be. And, you know, I don't have that experience from the industry side, but I said, you know, it really is. Higher ed, we, we are in an, an in an occupation where we are continually giving back and helping other people reach their goals and reach their aspirations. And I, I just, I cannot imagine ever leaving the world of higher ed. You know, success oftentimes has to do with how much effort you, you put into the opportunities that are presented to you. And I, I think the more effort you make, the more good that you're going to get out of the work that you do and the more lives that, that you're going to affect. And I think one of the greatest compliments any person could receive, regardless of the profession that they're in, is that someone tells them about the positive difference that they've made. And I think that in our profession in higher ed, whether you're on the academic side, you're a faculty member, you're staff, you're an administrator, that's what our work is about. It's about making a positive difference in the lives of all of these these students who are, are trying to to make a go of it and are trying to be successful in their career. So I think higher ed is absolutely the grandest place to work. Excellent. What a great place to end our conversation today. Thank you so much, Gay, for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. You can find out more about Gay in today's episode by visiting the distance learning section of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so that you'll get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Gay and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. 
Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education.